Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the show. This is the Millennial Millionaire Podcast, and I am your host, Stephen Cohen. This podcast is focused on bringing some of the wisest minds from across the globe to discuss concepts, strategies, and ideals that will lead them to be top performers in their respective industries and their lives. This show is for the millennials and millennials at heart to transcend their mindset, their health, and their income to the next level. We are so excited to have you on this journey with us. Welcome to the show. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the show. Stephen Cohen here, and today I am super excited for our guest, a good buddy, a good friend, a good mentor of mine, James Silvas. James is an international mindset specialist and a peak performance coach who teaches leaders, high-performing teams, and individuals on how to understand their mind, break through fear, and find their own style so they can optimize their personal and professional lives. James is the founder of the Be The 1%, movement, brand, and podcast that inspires people all over the world to live life on their own terms, overcome obstacles, and do what the 99% of people won't do. James, super stoked to have you on the show, man. Thanks for making the time. Honored to be here, bro. Anytime we can get together and put our minds, you know, collaborate in that way, I'm always like on board. Let's do this. I appreciate you, brother. Let's hop right into it, man. Me and you, I feel like our relationship has really enhanced, um, particularly over the last two years. I remember when we first met, um, a mutual friend of ours, ours, Austin, actually connected us because mm -hmm. you were in the door-to-door -door space, speaking for teams, adding value, traveling. And I remember when I first heard you speak, one of the things that really caught my attention was just your ability to be present, your ability to move a crowd, and ultimately your ability to really connect. You know, you're one of the speakers that when I'm in a room, especially with a big crowd, you can almost feel the goosebumps um, mm. after you say certain things because I know that your connection and your presence on how you deliver is there. How have you evolved into that good of a speaker and that ability to communicate at such a high level? Yeah, thank you, brother. That that really means a lot coming from you. And um, there's a lot of factors in that. Uh, it it So let's start with before the the talk actually happens. We've talked about this before, but I do believe that space has energy, right? And the earlier one can get to a space, the individual, I, I, I believe that you could put energy into the space. And mm -hmm. so it's always a, a form of service uh, when I go and, and speak and share what I've learned. And then there's a, uh, there's a care, a care of like wanting to create a space where content can be shared and impacts can be made. So there's a, there's a level of care there. Um, there is a selflessness that I think is associated with, with that level of presence where <laughs> you have to get outside of yourself, which means you have to have a certain level of confidence within you to not think about you. And that's a big, big thing that I had to work on because earlier in my, in my career, it was much about how do I sound? How do I look? How am I articulating things? And I was so meta like thinking about what I was thinking about mm. while I was speaking and that, and that wasn't making the connection that I wanted to with the audience. And so the more I worked on myself, the more self-awareness I, I had, the, the more I was able to forget about me and make the moment about others. Mm. And so I was able to listen more and look at more and uh, that has, has really served me well and, um, and allowed me to listen. How do, you, how do you cultivate that? I love what you said. You're focused more on serving the people that you're communicating with, your clients, the presentations you give versus being 
in thought of how well or how you are delivering the speech. And I feel like a lot of people, um, whether it's trying to speak, present, or really in their day-to-day -day life, they're so focused on almost second-guessing themselves in that self-doubt versus just letting it flow through them and delivering at the level that they want. Is that something that's cultivated? Is that something that's talked? It's, it definitely can be cultivated. Um, it's not easy and it requires a lot of time spent with self to find out what takes you out of the moment. What are you observing in other people's behavior that is triggering you to get insecure? Right? For, for early in my career, I would look at fidgeting or not, people not making eye contact with me not like, thinking that I, my message isn't good. And so then I would be in my head about the one person that I was focusing on and forgetting about the collective that was in that room. And it wasn't until I'm like, why am I such a, why am I focusing so much on that instead of what the actual message is and allowing that to come through me? And I started making those adjustments and looking at that behavior differently that everyone learns in a different way and everyone has different modalities and gestures to show how connected they are. And so rather than getting in my head, I stayed with the, the vibe, if you will. And um, that allowed the content to just continue to flow out. And eventually those people who I thought weren't listening were actually the people that came up to me afterwards and were like, dude, what you said was like everything. And, and then I learned very quickly, I'm like, you can't judge behavior always at, at face value. And mm -hmm. you gotta trust in your preparation. How have you been able to develop that level of confidence? Because I think anyone who's successful, anyone that's a speaker, anyone that serves, supports, and creates space for individuals to have breakthrough, you have to have a certain level of self-esteem, a certain level of calmness, a certain level of just being okay and being true to who you are. Where does that come from? Have you always had that? Or is that something that you've crafted and worked on over the years? One thing that I'm grateful for my parents that they instilled in me was putting myself in very challenging situations. And so that first started in sports when I was younger and I always played up. I was always the youngest on my team. And that forced me to play with people who were faster, bigger, and stronger. In order to compete with them, I needed to do extra work so that I wasn't the one that was last in, in the line or I wasn't the weakest or you know, I had to, to stand out in, in a lot of ways. So that mean, meant I had to have a different strategy that compounded over the years and just that level of, of discipline and wanting to um, be considered in the conversation of like who who is effective in this space i think has been a, a big driver um for sure but it, it's when you're when you're in challenge there there's a level of surrender that you have to have to the challenge right like th there's going to there's always a risk of failure and if you're not okay with leaping into that unknown if you need everything to be laid out and step-by-step process that's not how life works but if you need that you're not going to be successful in uncertainty you're, you're going to grab for what you know and what you know isn't always what's best what you know is just what you're comfortable with right and so part of developing that that level of trust is leaping constantly into a, a form of unknown why do you think most people don't leap? You know, I think at a primal level, we all know that we have to get uncomfortable to grow. But why do you think most people don't take action on that unfamiliarness, on that unknown? Because I think we know that on the other side, there's something good, yet most people just don't take that leap. 
you have to be you have to be honest with yourself. So that will require you to uh, accept maybe some truths that you don't want to. That maybe take you a notch below what you think you are. I think there's a level of ownership that you have to take over your life and realize that no matter what happens, it's on me. And that's a that's a that's a heavy thing to carry. And people would rather not carry heavy things in order to conserve short-term um, relief. And if you choose short-term relief over that discipline and, and let's call it pain, um, then your life is not gonna be what you hope it to be in the long run. Because you're not gonna develop the muscle and the awareness and the, and the wisdom that's needed and that you only can find in, in the heart. So, you know, I, I forget who, whose quote it was, but like doing something hard each day is, is essential for mental health. If you're waking up and you do not challenge yourself at least in w one time, in one thing, in my opinion, you've wasted the day. Hmm. I love that, man. I mean, I just got done showing you the new cold plunge, which I'm, I'm super yeah. stoked about. That. <laughs> right, right. that was a big reason why um, I got that because of that concept of just doing hard things. And for me, um, I don't like cold water. No one likes cold water, but I understand that by doing that, I am creating the habit. I am creating the identity. I am creating the belief within myself that I am someone that does hard things regardless if I feel like it or not. And I believe that will translate into other areas of my life um, by just mastering that physicalness of right. that. And when that's the identity, then it doesn't matter what the economy's doing. It doesn't matter if people believe in you or not or, or support you or not. You you take that upon yourself to have the narrative that's gonna keep you moving forward even when most people are like, that's not a good idea. Hmm. What does personal development mean to you, James? Personal development to me means, it means telling the truth, it means constant progression, and it means service. Like the, accepting hard things, truths, uh, challenging yourself so that you can serve. I think fundamentally, in order for anyone to have a quality of life that um, they can be proud of, it, their, their actions need to be rooted in service to someone, to something usually bigger than them. Otherwise, you're gonna get in your own head and you may justify and talk yourself out of the thing that you know you need to do. But if it's bigger than you and it, and it can help with a legacy, or the world's a better place by you, by you doing that work, or the people around you are better because you're better, then that's where true meaning and fulfillment comes in, in my opinion. Mm. I think Ed Milet said this, but he said, if you're feeling helpless, become helpful. Because whenever you're in an act of service, whenever your energy is focused outwards into serving and adding value to the world, to the marketplace, or even your family or the people closest to you, it's almost impossible to be depressed, to feel down because you're not putting enough energy focused on yourself when it's focused on other people. That's right. So I love that. Where did you get this desire to really become a master in the human brain and psychology and how humans work? Was that something that you just always had an interest in growing up or is that something that something happened to you that created that within yourself and therefore you wanted to explore it more in others? My dad, we would go on really long truck rides when I was playing sports. I'm talking like 20, 30 minutes to get to practice and then 20, 30 minutes back. And my dad would always talk and I, I, maybe I'm so good at listening because my dad was always talking. But one of the things he always said was, it, it's all about your mindset. 
it's like 80% mind, 20% like body, right? And you would always say that. And I never really understood it until I got older, but I, I had that core philosophy that was just embedded into my mind from an early age. I'm talking like five, six years old. And then when I got into college and I went to UNLV and I um, studied under my, one of my professors, who was a four-time world-renowned mental performance coach, and I was in his class being mind blown on how powerful the mind was. I was like, okay, wow, that, that, I feel different just by knowing that piece of information. I show up different because I now know that. And then I started noticing that people have crazy amounts of talent, like in sport, in business, in finance, in relationship, but they're not fully leaning into that because of how they're thinking. So then I was like, okay, so if a lot of these problems originate with the mind and the mind can be trained, why don't I just focus on that? Because it seems like if that gets better, people's lives get better, mm. right? And that, that's kind of like the unfolding of how, how it came about. It's funny that you said that. I would say 80 to 90% of the people I talk to, when they think about college, they think of almost kind of like a waste of time. Even myself was like, uh, you know, for a really long time after I got out of college and I started my entrepreneur career, you know, college was something that um, I didn't talk bad about, but just something like, hey, you don't need college to be successful, X, Y, and Z. And especially now in the information age with TikTok and, you know, there's 21-year-olds making, you know, tens of millions of dollars making videos. College and education, at least formal education, seem like um, just a, kind of an older paradigm. But for you, you actually got a lot of value because you found the right professors and, you know, it seemed like it, it crafted the way that you viewed the life and, you know, a big reason who you are today. What is your perspective on formal education in college in today's age? The older I get, the less I believe in it. Um, I, and I'll be, I'll be clear here too, like when I went to college, there were very few professors that I, that I actually connected with. He was one of two. Mm. And I believe that I was placed there for a reason. I met my wife there and, and I met him there. He became a mentor of mine. Then he became a co-researcher. I'm actually co-authored on a research paper with who I considered like one of the best to ever do mental performance. I'm talking about Harvard, 500, Fortune 500 companies. He created the Zappos culture. Like to be able to be that close to someone, learn from them, and then also transition them into a friend and now a godfather of my son. Really cool relationship, but that doesn't always happen. And so I feel very fortunate that I was one of the individuals that actually was able to, to have that, right? Um, but outside of that, I mean, in, in a fraternity that I rushed my senior year, those are really the only things that I got out of college. So uh, I'm not leaning towards like go to, go to college because I think you can learn so much more by, by failing and by, by having so many experiences that college just can't provide. Yeah, I agree 100%. You know, when I similar, I did the college route. I didn't make it as long as you did. I dropped out my second year, uh, but I did the whole fraternity thing. And yeah, I got a lot of great lessons, my social skills. Um, I figured out what I didn't want out of college. But mm -hmm. yeah, for me and a lot of other people, uh, the system and the current paradigm of how people should live their life, go to school, get good, good grades, you know, go to high school, go to college, get a really good paying good job and work your way up the corporate ladder. It just doesn't seem as applicable in today's age when there's so much information, there's so much knowledge and accessibility for, you know, young people and, and really anyone out there to go actually create an income, create a career, create a lifestyle of something that they actually care about. You know, one of the things I admire you about I know what you do in, in coaching, 
and consulting and serving and speaking that's something that you have a true passion for mm -hmm. and it's something you love so much you can tell by the way that you carry yourself and the way that you speak what would you say to people out there that maybe are stuck in maybe a career or a job or in uh, just a, a pattern of thought that just isn't really serving them and they're not getting fulfillment with when they know there's better options out there? So what to do when they know there are better options out there but they're not taking action on, the, on, the, on that? Correct. Well, change doesn't happen until there's enough pain that's felt. People don't move unless there's pain. And so if they're staying put, it's because the meaning that they're associating to staying is more valuable than leaving. Mm. So until the moment where their current situation is so unbearable that they can't take it, there's, there's nothing that's gonna happen. So that, that's like first point. Then you gotta ask yourself, is, is the person I'm becoming by doing this thing turning me into a person that I can respect and admire? And that answer is most likely going to be no if somewhere deep down you're not being fulfilled in that work. So there, there, there's that. And you got to put yourself in an environment where you become the person that you look up to. Otherwise, there's going to be no incentive for you to want to continue to go to that space. Um, and then values. Like, is what you're doing in alignment with what you value? For me, I value presence, growth, integrity, service, and love. Everything that I do is centered around those aspects. And those things may change, but right now in my life, those are the things that I value most. So if you look at my relationships, you look at how the spaces that I create in, in the areas that I speak, it's always fostering some version of those five things. How do you develop that level of self-awareness in order to get those realizations? Strong mentors, <clears throat> self-reflection, and, um, and putting yourself in very challenging situations. Because you can't run when you're faced with the challenge. I mean, you can, but you're not gonna grow. But if you lean in, you're gonna learn so much about where you need work. And if your goal is true mastery in any craft, which mine is, then you don't have a problem asking for the feedback. Or you don't have a problem receiving it because you know that by receiving it, it's only gonna make you better, which means you have greater levels of mastery, which means you can bring more value, which means you can create more impact. Mm. I love that, man. I think one of the biggest reasons I admire you is because you do such a great job at articulating, at least articulating as well as acting and showing up um, by combining the spiritual realm as well as the science realm and how those merge together um, to create certain laws, to create certain concepts and philosophies that allow people to live life at the highest level. When did you start getting more into the spiritual side or into the science side and how did that bridge connect for you? So I grew up Catholic, <clears throat> Catholic from you know early age, got my confirmation in high school. So I was very steeped into the religion of Catholicism. And um, there are some good things that happened from that discipline, morals, you know, that kind of thing. But as I got older, there was a friend of mine who introduced me <laughs> to something called uh, spirit science. I've seen it. Yeah. And I was like 21. And I remember watching one episode and it shook the very foundation of everything that I knew about religion. And I felt weird because my whole life I believed that one way was the only way. 
And when I watched it, something in me was like yelling, explore, you know? Mm. And I was like, man. So then I watched more and then I did my own research. And then that's kind of what opened the door to like plant medicine and self um, reflection and, and just sitting with self because you are your own guru. And that I began to say there is that there's beauty in religion, right? But for me, my journey was more about how much can I, <clears throat> how much can I grow as a, a person and um, who, can I, how, who am I at the core and then build from there. And uh, so the intersection came in my early 20s and then I spent the next six, seven years stacking knowledge on my own interpretation of what spirituality is, which is just self-exploration. Self-exploration. Yeah, man, I'm similar. I didn't really understand. I'm, I'm born, you know, raised Jewish, even though I'm not super um, connected to the religion in terms of my practices. But yeah, growing up, spirituality was never something I was really super interested in until I got introduced to entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, I remember being like six or seven months into entrepreneurship and learning about stuff like the law of attraction, the law of vibration, watching certain things. I also watched spirit science. And just seeing that success, which was the thing I was extremely curious and interested at the time, being someone that didn't come from money, success was more on the spiritual side than the actual physical side. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't necessarily what actions you were taking or what job you got or what degree you had or what side of the, you know, the, the neighborhood you were born in. It was more about your philosophy. It was more about your values. It was more about your perspective and the way that you look at things. And for me, it completely changed my life because it, it allowed me to take ownership over my life because I realized that all of those things, all the internal game is something that we can control and yes. it's something that we can develop, cultivate and enhance. And as long as you can focus on the things that you can control and what you can grow, then there's no limit to the things that you can accomplish. But where people get stuck and where I feel like society is as a whole is most people are so focused on the external and the condition and the circumstances and they're giving all the power to the wrong things. <clears throat> Amen. The internal creates the external. And, and what I hear from what you said is you, you crafted your own definition of what success is and you played in that game. So you played in a, a game that you created. That's really the only way to win. Mm -hmm. If you're playing someone else's game, how can you win? You know, and so life is so subjective, success is so subjective, and it isn't until you, you sit down and take the time to think about what is success for me and how do I know if I achieved it? Otherwise, you're gonna be a tumbleweed blowing in the wind, you're gonna find yourself in situations where you're trying to prove yourself to people who don't even see your value, which is never a good idea, and you're placing your power in things that you can't control, which you just said, and, and you're, you're going to be very victim-oriented or powerless in a lot of situations because you're not sourcing your own power because you don't even know what you're doing. No, 100%, man. Why do you think people never come to that realization? Um, you know, we both work with a lot of people, different, different aspects. You know, I deal with salespeople coming in, coming out. We have about 50% attrition rate. You know, if 10 people start, 
you know, in July, by <laughs> September, we'll probably have like three or four people. And it's not even because of the actual job, it's because people give up on their goals and their dreams and you see it and it's very unfortunate because they don't craft, they're, they're not willing to put in the work in order to get to the goals and desires that they say they want for themselves. Mm -hmm. But in my experience, anyone could go out there and create massive success, massive happiness and massive fulfillment for their life. Yet, so many people, as we know, we've all read the statistics, you know, 90% of people hate their jobs, you know, 60% of people are unfulfilled, whatever the statistics are. Why do you think most people, to your point, don't even understand the game they're playing and are actually playing someone else's game and never realize that, hey, I could turn this thing off and start my own? <laughs> There's so many layers there. It's easier to take someone else's word than to create your own because it, it offers um, an illusion of certainty that you didn't have to, to earn. You know, it's like if, if, I, if I took it upon myself to create something that I was then going to operate from and it doesn't work out, I'm to blame. And I don't want to be embarrassed. I, I care about what other people think. So FOPO, fear of other people's opinions, is super sure. active. And it's just, it's easier to, it's an energy conservation tactic from so many fronts. Like I don't have to think about the blame that I would have to accept if this doesn't work out. I wouldn't have to invest any excess thinking outside of what someone tells me. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's easier. That's, I think that's just the simple, plain answer is it's easier. Do you think it boils down to fear? Fear is definitely a part of it, yes. Um, yeah. Fear of success, fear of failure. Four common fears that I've seen. Fear of failure, fear of success, being an imposter, worrying that people are going to find you out, that you shouldn't be where you're at, and um, fear of rejection. Fear of rejection being the most common. Hmm. How do people cultivate the level of presence? I think one of the crazy things about you and your ability to touch, communicate, and help people is your ability to create presence in a space. And I know earlier in the, the podcast, you talked about how spaces hold energy and preparation is extremely <laughs> important in order to help cultivate that presence. But I think one of your superpowers is definitely your ability to create presence. And by doing that, you allow other people to be pr present in your presence. How are you able to cultivate that? Okay, so presence evokes presence, um, which you just said, and I, and I agree with that. And, and so how I've cultivated that is the deeper I go into myself, the more depth I can hold. So when I look at someone, I'm able to see, I'm able to look past what most people see because most people don't even know what's going on inside, right? It, everyone's a mirror to you. So if I wanna have a deeper relationship with other people, then I have to have a deeper relationship with myself. Otherwise, I can't take you there, right? So every spare moment, or not every spare moment, but a good chunk of time is spent on going into deeper aspects of myself because as I realize those, I can now pick up on those, right? So in a, in a moment where I'm being present, I'm scanning the environment, I'm feeling, I'm seeing, I'm observing, I'm hearing, I'm listening to what the gut is saying and listening to those intuitive nudges and because I practice mindfulness and meditation so often I know what is a fear-based thought versus a love-based thought and I know what to give attention to 
And because I know my own energy signature, I know if I'm off of that, then there's something in the environment that I'm picking up on. And I've worked with enough people to know that most people want peace, some form of love uh, and, a, and a, a calmness. And so if I can cultivate that in myself, then I become the magnet in which they can be attracted to. So I could take someone who's super hostile and bring them down just with my tonality and the energy that I'm emanating because I am calm. And this is leadership at a subtle level. It's like, what environment do you, are you heading into and what are you wanting to create in that environment? Making sure that you walk in with it and that you maintain it as often as possible regardless of the situation or the context. Mm. Know thyself. I think emotional intelligence is one of the biggest skill sets that mm -hmm. anyone can learn, let alone entrepreneurs. For me, my ability to maybe not control my emotions, but guide them and not be so reactive to things. And to your point, instead of something happening to me and automatically my instincts or my reactionariness you know, comes out, I'm able to take a second, pause, create that level of stillness and respond. Yes. Is emotional intelligence something that you see in high performers that you work with? And if so, what are some characteristics that allow them to tap into Self-regulation is impulse control. You're not just going to go for the quickest, shiniest thing. You're going you're gonna to stay rooted in what serves you and what you know is best, and you're going to delay gratification. So definitely high performers do have that. Um, with the in emotional intelligence side, like how do you cultivate that, right? It's a, it, you have to be able to body scan and you have to be able to like recognize what's happening inside your body when certain things happening are happening. We are constantly anchored by our environment. I, for example, you're, you're a young individual uh, or a baby and something happens to you and your parents yell at you for a certain reason and, and that yelling is a trigger for you to have a certain response. And if you don't, you know, that can grow up over time and now when someone yells at you, you go back to that same response that you had as a kid. We all have this. And, and so it isn't until you start having mindfulness in the moment where you're like, why is this thing making me feel this way? That you start to pull on those threads. And the more threads you pull, the more you realize you probably have to heal something that is triggering you so that the trigger is no longer there. And the less triggers you have, or the better you get at recognizing the trigger and shifting into something more resourceful, then you're able to navigate a lot of uncertainty and a lot of challenge with, with more ease, relative ease. So for me, I, I didn't grow up with massive amounts of emotional awareness. It wasn't until I did therapy that I actually began to hone that. And I was sitting with my therapist after something had happened to me that I didn't know how to process. And she's like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, I feel like I want to just punch that person in the face. She goes, okay, well, that's not a feeling. Yeah. So what are you feeling? And I was like, I don't know, mad. Okay, what else? Angry. Okay. And I couldn't name any other emotions. And she's like, okay, here's the issue. There, you don't understand the subtleties of emotion enough to be able to articulate them. And so if you don't, you're gonna to continue to create the same situations in your life because you're not recognizing the patterns that lead to the behavior that is making you feel a way that you don't even know how to represent. So she's like, here's your homework. Go home and I want you to sit with each of these emotions. And she gave me a list of like 32 of them. And I went home and for four hours, I wrote down anger, right? 
And I was like, what makes me angry? And then I was like, people, when people do this, when people say that, when I do this, okay? What makes me sad when people do this? Why? Why does that make me sad? Well, because it reminds me of this. And then I started to see this tree of like where the emotions root is and how it gets to where it gets to. And then I was like, got it. So if I just limit these situations, these people, I feel less of those emotions. Or if I just look at the root of what's causing that emotion and heal it or shift my perspective around it, then that emotion isn't as heightened. And so then I become more emotionally regulated and skilled in that area. That's so good, man. What percentage of people's unconscious patterns do you think have been created from a young age that unbeknownst to them are actually sabotaging them and creating the results that they're trying to as an adult? I'd say north of 70%. And do you feel like if those thoughts, patterns, conditioning, paradigms that weren't even theirs to begin with that came from a parent, a teacher, a pastor, uh, a colleague growing up. Do you believe that if those, let me rephrase my question, how do you shift those? When you realize, hey, there's some stuff that I have, whether it's trauma, whether it's pattern, whether it's limiting beliefs that were created at a young age because maybe I was born in a poverty environment or maybe I had low self-esteem because I was bullied at a young age or maybe you know my mom yelled at me one time for doing something brave, therefore I am now a coward. Yeah. How do you create awareness over those patterns and shift them in order to not allow the past to dictate your future? It's a great question. Um, most people don't know what they don't know, right? And so it, it isn't until you say, where are the areas that I'm struggling in? And you identify those areas that there's probably something to the likes of what you're talking about active. Um, if I notice that every time I start a job, I only stay for six months and then I go find another job. Okay, that happens. That's happened the last three years. So what is it with commitment? Or what, what is it with a certain type of personality that we need to look at so that you can stay at a place longer if it serves you and not get in your head and self-sabotage an opportunity because you're operating from a default way of thinking that came from a parent or an authority figure or a friend. So analyzing where are your stuck points or where do you feel stuck or where are things not going the way that you want them to go, pulling up the hood and seeing you know what might be the issue there. That could be in a mental or emotional block. That would be the first and, and most common thing that I would that I would do. Yeah, no, I love that, man. I think I, I think uh, 100% with you, man. I think self awareness is the key to self mastery. And most people, they're so focused on doing, 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 or focus on the future that they're not in tune with their emotions. I know me and you are both fans of Jerry Nestor Hicks. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of my favorite books is Ask and It's Given, and I've probably read it three or four times over the last four or five years and I just got obsessed with the concept of that I am a creator and that no matter what's happening outside of me, I always have full control over my experience, how I respond to it and my ability to shift my perspective to it. And there's a concept in that book that talks about your feelings and that your feelings are essentially triggers to let you know, yeah. you know what you're vibrating and, and what type of energy that you're putting into the universe and not to go super esoteric, but you know, to the conversation we had earlier, there are becoming these conversations, these 
these studies that spirituality, quantum physics is now creating a bridge with science. So understanding that we are energy, we are vibrational creatures um, in a human experience. And by doing that, then you can start to kind of warp your reality and start shifting the way that you look at things. And typically when you shift the way you look at things, the things you start to look at start to shift. Yes, yes. I, I, quantum physics was something that I, was, I, I felt was super fascinating. And I started noticing correlations between how I felt and how people treated me. Right? The higher vibe I was, the more higher vibe the opportunity was that just found its way to me, whether that was through coincidence or me putting in the work and just being in the right place at the right time. But the meaning that I associated to those correlations was that when my energy is this, the outcome tends to be this. So let me just focus on my energy being in a good place because I'll see good. It's like we see what we seek. We attract what we emit. Right? These are like fundamental, universal, energetic principles. And, and we're just magnets. So if you're not happy with where you're at in any certain area, it's because of how you're thinking, what you're doing, or what you're emitting. So we have to look at those areas to course correct and, and fine tune so that you're not continuing to do something that you say you don't want to do and attract things that, that aren't supportive for you and that, that you don't deserve. Mm. Do you find in a lot of the high performers that you know you mentor and coach that they understand these universal laws, or do you think they're just doing it at an unconscious level and seeing these results? Both, both. I have uh, a few clients that that do operate with these kind of philosophies, but they don't know that they are, and it isn't until I start asking questions and and drawing their awareness to the fact that they're rooted in energetic principles that they're like, that makes sense. Right. But, and, but they're not like shocked that about it. They just, okay, cool. You know, whereas other people are like, oh yeah, it's all about energy. It's all about the universe. But I think it comes down to how do you feel? What are you doing? And what's the meaning around that? You know, what, one of your questions was like, what do you see in high performers? I, I, I also think that they're masters of meaning, mm. right? Like no matter what happens, they find a narrative that supports them. I failed. No, I learned how not to do it. Oh, well, you got, you got dumped or you got divorced or you, you, someone let you go. Yeah, because it wasn't in alignment with who I wanted to be. Like, it's always this, it's happening for me kind of thing. Not to me. I love that so much, man. I think it was Tony Robbins that said the most powerful moment of your life when you, is when you'll be able to turn the quote unquote worst thing that ever happened to you and turn it into the best thing. And that just is all about meaning and it's about interpretation and it's about your perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, two bad things can happen to two individual people, but one person could look at it as a learning experience or a building block and move past it and build from it while the other person can internalize it, use it as a crutch and go victim because of it. So it's not necessarily what happens to us, but to your point, how you respond. And I think most people are unconsciously programmed to not be in control of the meaning that they give things. Correct. And instead they are reactive to what society assigns that meaning to be. 100%. And because they never spent time to think about themselves or, or to have a story that puts them in the center of their control, then they're always outsourced, right? So they would hope that they have someone, a partner that can believe in them, but that's, that's a codependent relationship that's never going to last. When you don't rely on you, then everything else, you, you, 
you you grasp for where there's a there's like a desperateness there a lack lack there there's i need you don't need anything you need you if anything right and when you operate from that fullness then the relationships you attract are full the opportunities are full um and and the game changes and so so there's that and then what you're making me think of just kind of like how people think from when they're younger there's the um attachment theory have you heard of this Mm -mm. attachment theory is uh, there's there's four kind of traits you can do you can have a secure attachment and it, it all depends on how your caregivers responded when you were in distress so if a baby is crying did the baby feel that the parents were there to nurture and support and love the baby if the parents were active and were there the baby will grow up with a secure attachment they will view world as the world as a safer place and they, they, can tr- they can trust in relationships more because they had that mirrored throughout their whole life. Then you have anxious attachment. This is where a baby is in distress, but the, the parents were hit or miss on whether they came to soothe. Hmm. And so the trust in that relationship, in any relationship, is fractured because it was mirrored through the parents and their availability. And so you see this in intimate relationships where anxious person will attach to uh, a secure or even to another anxious and they'll, they'll constantly be like in and out. It's spotty. It's not, it's not firm. And then you have the avoidant, right? This is where the parent definitely was not there at all or even made the, the child feel uncomfortable. And so the natural tendency for someone who's that is to withdraw and to, to move away from conflict or to, to not trust in relationships as, as much as they want to. Like they want to be in a relationship, but they, had, they haven't had it mirrored in a way that um, is, is a secure or supportive relationship. So then you have that built over time, and then people just believe that there are only these types of relationships. And a big realization is to realize that just because, just because of where you were raised or how you were raised doesn't dictate how it needs to be. That there are people out there that have secure attachments. 50 to 60% of the, the population is secure. But you just may be in your current flow attracting more anxious or avoidant-like tendencies. And so um, that was a very helpful framework for me to understand why I was able to hold such powerful space for people. is because my parents did that for me. Hmm. That's powerful, man. Speaking of parents... You are a parent, a father, yeah, right. and you have one more, literally, maybe minutes from now, <laughs> right. hopefully True. not minutes, hopefully within the next couple of days. Knowing what you do now and all the work, all the inner work you've done and all the coaching, consulting and development on yourself, how has that impacted the way of your parenting style and what advice can you give to parents out there listening to give their son or daughter, their, their children, the best chance at living the best life they can? So it, it's a cool question. Uh, so many people ask me, James, what book should I read uh, before I become a parent? And I'm like, honestly, I didn't read any books. Because all, all the books are going to tell you is that you need to be able to self-regulate yourself so you're not taking your insecurities, your fears, or your triggers and projecting them onto your kids. And having children is the ultimate like trigger tank. Hmm. <laughs> Everything they do makes you think about something like i I'm, i want to like i want to strangle you yeah right now <laughs> why are you not listening right but then for me it's like why is that bothering me so much you know 
or I notice that like <laughs> Aiden will do something and I'll do I'll do something to him like I'll ask it I'll, I'll like be physical with him or I'll ask him a question or I'll like point him to something the way my dad used to and and there are good ways that my dad did that and then also ways that I don't want to do it like my dad so that you have to have a great level of mindfulness in those moments and a lot of patience which is very hard if you're not taking time for yourself because if you're not taking time for yourself, then you're going to be resentful for all the responsibilities that you have to do. And the, and the child who doesn't know any better, who's still figuring out this world, is, is going to react in a lot of different ways. And if you don't have the energy to, to be patient and to sit in that, you're going to uh, spank that, and maybe you don't want to. You're going to yell at the child and that can be impressionable and build a belief system that you don't want to be built. Uh, it can cause you and your significant other to have a strain in the relationship because you're showing up in a way that you don't want to, but you don't have the, the um, discipline or the awareness to catch yourself. So then they see a different light in you and now you have that dynamic to manage. Mm. Dude, it's, it's messy. It, it's every day, like there's routine, but every day is different. You don't know if he's gonna take a nap, for me, I don't know if he's gonna take a nap or if he's not gonna take a nap. If he's gonna get up at 6 a.m. or 7 or 5 and how that's gonna affect my sleep levels and if he's gonna eat his food or what type of food he likes. Um, does he wanna go to the park today or is it more like in the house day? How much screen time should he have? Like what kind of food does he eat? It's, certainty dude, versus uncertainty, right? It's uncertainty every day. But, because I've worked on myself and I trust myself because I've been in hard situations time and time again and I've always come out with a learning experience, I've developed resourcefulness in uncertainty. And so that has helped me as a parent. Mm. And the love that you have for your kid also like, help, ac helps you access greater levels of, of uh, just <laughs> being there. I'm yeah. like, I'm not going anywhere, so I gotta figure this out. Yeah. I don't know if you were the one that said this um, or where I heard it, but they said that stress reveals cracks or challenges, mm -hmm. adversity re reveals cracks. And as you were talking now, I think the difference between, I don't want to say good or bad, but the, the difference between a parent that, you know, is, is giving, creating, cultivating good space. And, and maybe that's not, is their ability to be aware of those cracks and go to work on them. Right. So it doesn't happen next time. Exactly. Right. Just like in business if you're getting stressed out or if there's challenges or if you keep continuing to run into the same challenge, situation, problem, obstacle, it's there for a reason to reveal something about you that you need to shift, you need to adjust, or you need to work on in order to become a better individual to not allow that same obstacle to face you next time. Exactly. And you talked about patience. Patience is, I think, a, a word that some people have a, a bitter, sweet relationship with. What is your relationship with patience? I relate patience with uh, consistency. Um, and the, I think in order to be patient, you have to, you have to be able to find value in the waiting, you know? And, and so the, the value that can come from waiting is more time to reflect. It can come in, um, reading the environment to make a better decision. It can come in self-restraint, working on discipline. Um, and so, so then there's more likelihood for you to want to be patient because you understand what you're getting from it. But I think all people see when there's like, just be patient is like, 
I want to be doing that and I'm not. So they're not finding what patience has to teach them. Mm. And, and when you get the importance of patience, I think that you can move quicker because you have more discretion. You, you understand the nuance more. You appreciate and have more reverence for these characteristics that make really great people great, like patience, mm. um, respect, love, integrity. Like these aren't just words, they're embodiments, they're, they're philosophies attached to actions and they, they're teachers. Like if you were to think about, man, if I could sit down with Jesus or if I could sit down with Jeff Bezos, like how much more reverence would you show up to that interview with? You'd be the notepad, you'd record it, you'd be like, okay, tell me. But people don't do that with themselves and they also don't do that with ideals. Mm. If patience were Jeff Bezos, how would you treat it? Yeah. Perspective and meaning, right? right? That's what it comes back to. Right. Perspective and meaning. Let's, uh, let's shift a little bit. So you do something really cool or you facilitate, um, with a really good buddy of yours, the warrior retreat, yeah. um, up in Peru that, you know, I haven't had the opportunity to go on yet, but I'd, I'd love to one of these days. And uh, I know one of the practices out there is you do do plant medicine and you 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 know yeah. go through Machu Picchu, you do the hike and stuff like that. Can you talk about that experience a little bit and the value that just plant medicine and, and spirituality, that whole aspect of has had on your your life, your business, and overall the way that you show up to other people? Yeah, yeah. The event, the uh, the Warrior Retreats, was created by my one of my brothers, Brandon Collinsworth. Shout out to you. And that started with a self-discovery journey that he went to Peru and, and formed all these relationships and was like, man, I had such powerful breakthroughs. I want to bring people that I know on this journey. So that's really how it started. And then I, I first went as an attendee and then transferred into the facilitator role. And the first year that I went, um, I was told that we were going to do ayahuasca in the, in the jungle, like literally the jungle, mm. off grid, four days, and you make it from scratch. So you see the whole process. So it becomes much more sacred. And I was like, well, I don't want my first uh, ceremony to be in the jungle. I want to know what I'm going to experience. I don't freak out. And so I did it twice in the States before I did it for in, in, in on that retreat. And I believe if, if it's not for everybody. And I don't think it's necessary to reach profound levels of self-awareness. But for me, I felt called to it because it, it was a, um, an all-organic substance. It wasn't manufactured. It grows on a vine and a leaf, and you put those vines, that, that vine and a leaf together, and that combination creates a brew that allows you to have a very psychedelic, transformative um, experience. What's fascinating is there's 80,000 um, 80, plant species in the Amazon. It's, one of, it's the most diverse place on Earth. Yet you have one root and one leaf. How did they find that? Like, mm -hmm. still perplexing to think about. But they did, and the compounds in that brew allow you to activate your pineal gland, which have you have a mixture of experiences. One can be very visual, others can be very somatic, so it's a lot of body. Um, some can be uh, a consult, so you can talk. As if I'm having a conversation with you, you can talk with yourself, you can talk with a loved one, you can talk with someone who has transitioned into a different, um, let's call it universe. <laughs> uh, and, and so for me, it was very, very helpful to 
sit with myself and to be shown what I needed to see. I've done it five times now. Every time is different. Depending on your intention really creates the, um, the experience that you go through. But what I've learned from it is greater levels of self-love. Like one moment in particular, I had a conversation with my future self 10 years in the future. And I'm like sitting in this room and like all of a sudden this guy walks in and he's in all black and he's like, I, 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 he looks recognizable, but he's still too far. And as he gets closer, I'm like, holy shit, like, I'm, that's me. James? <laughs> yeah, right. And he goes, what's up, man? Like the same way that I would do it. And it was so weird. And he was basically like, you have no idea the ancestral lineage that is here to support you in every moment. And you need to trust that. And he says, look over there. And I looked off in the distance. I saw like thousands of warriors in shields and spears, like ready at my like disposal. Disposal. And he's like, that's your power. Own that. And I came out of that, that. That's one of many journeys that I had in that one single ceremony. But from that, I've learned to leverage that. Like in my prep, before I create the space, I'm like connecting with that lineage, like come through, allow me to say what needs to be said, hear what needs to be heard, feel what needs to be felt, share what needs to be shared, be who I need to be to facilitate the greatest level of impact. Wow. And, it, and I, I open myself to that. I don't know what that looks like. I have a plan, but I'm not married to it. So I'm like walking on a tightrope and, and it requires every moment is like revealing the next moment. I'm not thinking too far. I'm thinking just one moment in the, and then measuring where I'm at and just continuing to move forward. And um, plant medicine has definitely helped me trust that more, opened up the channels for me to receive more insights or um, just ways of thinking, shifting perspective. That's super powerful, man. Uh, I've never done ayahuasca, something that I, I definitely want to do, but I've done mushrooms a mm -hmm. handful of times. And yeah, similar to you, definitely not as intense, but every time I go in there with the intention of recalibrating, the intention of allowing knowledge, allowing certain things, infinite intelligence to come through me, and every time I do it, most of the time it's in nature, um, I like to be by myself, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a an intense way of, of meditating for me and every time I, I feel like I leave there a little bit better of a person I leave more more present more heightened more perspective more empathy more appreciation more gratitude mm -hmm. and I agree I don't think that's the only way you can access those I think with intense practices and consistent meditation consistent you know rituals to support you to facilitate that but I also think it is a really cool way to help jumpstart that yeah. and hopefully get you from level three to level four and continue to build off of that. Right, and, and, and the work doesn't stop after that. It's not a one and done thing. It reveals and it's up to you to in integrate and to execute. You know, and um, they're four hours at least, four hour experiences and they can be very harsh because you can't run. Where are you gonna go? Nowhere, you have to see it. So for the person who's like really trying to seek truth and find deeper levels of who they are, that, that's what it helped me do. And I, I, I found a greater level of love and appreciation for myself that transmutes and translates into all the spaces that I go. So I emanate more of that now because it's a focal point for me. Hmm. Over the last like seven-ish, eight years, I've, I've focused a ton on success on ambition motivation that whole aspect of just you know creating abundance um, and creating wealth and 
in a sense, I've been able to find myself because in order for me to get to the level that I want to be at, I had to grow incongruence to that. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you always know when someone gets a quick, you know, a quick spree of success and then loses it, that they didn't put in the inner work in order to become valuable enough to sustain it. Either they compromised their integrity or they took a shortcut. Mm -hmm. But for me, over the last two to three years, I've put so much energy into achievement that I feel like I lost a little bit of the fulfillment. And it wasn't until I realized that, hey, why am I doing all this? It's to create X, Y, and Z, but in reality, it's to create happiness, it's to create joy, it's to create fulfillment. And over the last couple of years, I've been able to focus more on that bucket. What's your relationship with the achievement versus fulfillment ratio, especially in your field with the high achievers that you work with? Yeah, it, it, they're different languages. I, I um, definitely started off with the high achievement. My, my dad was super competitive, one of nine kids, carried that like, be the best at what you do kind of mentality into my life. And so I was just naturally coming in with this like high, I gotta I do a lot of things to prove that I'm worthy, right? That carried me into mid 20s. And then it, as my spiritual journey started to evolve even more, that's where more of the fulfillment piece started to come in, right? And, and the fulfillment was more so about the presence, it was about uh, relationships, and it was about mastery. Uh, and, and the more I focused on the fulfillment, the more achievement, the more effortless achievement became. And so I had it backwards. I wanted to achieve so that I felt fulfilled. But when you achieve, it's only one dimensional, that, the way that I was looking at it, because it was only about how much money do I have and how many goals am I accomplishing. It wasn't about the person that I was becoming or the impact that I was making, which comes back to the service. And I believe the fulfillment piece is always rooted in service and it's important to have goals and I think people should have goals. And they should also make sure that those goals are tied to them becoming a person that they can be proud of and, and that person is able to add service wherever they go. And I think if we all can be more of that, the world will be a better place and they'll, they'll find, they'll have more awareness on when they're too far into an extreme. Because I, th I do think that you could just go in a cave and meditate for 10 years and obviously that's not gonna be effective for yeah. society. But then you also can be the person who's so obsessed with making as much freaking money as possible that you, you don't connect with your people who are, you're doing business with or you treat people you know, like dirt or you know, you're just not a, a very nice person so your marriage falls apart. So it's a very fine, delicate, um, constant check-in that one has to do. But for me, I say I'm more on the fulfillment side than the achievement side. Do you believe in balance? Globally, yes. Daily, weekly, monthly, no. So we have like polarities, hot, cold, right, wrong, light, dark, right, uh, spectrum. One side of the spectrum, the other side of the spectrum. I believe that in time, everything does balance out. But on a daily, weekly basis, there's too many moving components for one to try and make every day balanced because that would mean that you would have to have equality in everything that you do and that's just not realistic. So people beat themselves up when they're not balanced. When if you took their year and, and, and weighed it out, it might be balanced. And if it's not, then that's something to look at and, and make adjustments. But you can't measure that, in my opinion, daily or weekly or even monthly. Like it's just something that needs to build over time and then you look back. That's why self-reflection is so important. And you, then you break down and you say, okay, 
I did spend a lot of time away from home this year. I want to change that. You won't know that until you have enough data to look at. It's not like, oh, I spent a lot of time away from home today, so tomorrow I'm going to spend more time here. There's just different seasons of life. So you have to be flexible and you have to be agile depending on the circumstance and make sure that you're communicating what you're doing so that people aren't left in the dark and resentment doesn't build around you making the decisions that you're making, mm. mostly family related. Yeah, I agree, man. I think, I think you hit it nail on the head. Seasons. I think there are seasons in life. You know, I look back at my own journey of success and there are for sure periods of my life where I was absolutely not balanced. And there's other aspects of my life that suffered my joy, my health, my relationships. But I realized that I needed to double down and I needed to sacrifice other aspects of my life for that specific season in order to get enough momentum in order to create a little bit more harmony, a little bit more balance in a different season of my life. Mm -hmm. And I think for people out there, it's like maybe they're trying to have that balanced life. They're trying to go out with their friends every weekend. They're trying to make their girlfriend or boyfriend happy. They're trying to you know, work hard and, and see their family, but they're not sacrificing anything. And if you're not willing to give things up, you're never gonna go up. So it's find that thing that you can almost be obsessed with in a healthy way that's worth it, that you're passionate about, and that you see the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And you know, let go of the instant gratification. There's no microwave effect when it comes to success, happiness, relationships and you just have to put your head down at work. And if other things suffer, as long as it's worth it to you, eventually those things that are suffering will eventually, you know, you'll be able to get it back to where it needs to be because that one area is gonna be so abundant that it'll flow into everything else. Right, and if you're articulate about why you're going into those actions and doing those things with the people that you love most, you're gonna realize who, who the real friendships are. You know, like I have friends that sometimes I won't talk to for X period of time, and it's because I'm like knee deep in travel season and they understand. So when I come back from that and I reach out, it's like, dude, how was it? Not like, can't believe you didn't hang out with me for the last three months. Like I got over those relationships a long time ago. And if you're trying to do anything masterful in your way, you, you have to have people in your corner that are also working on their thing and not dependent on you to be there whenever they want so that they feel better about themselves. Mm. Yeah, man, it's all energy, right? If you're vibrating at such a high frequency and there's other people who maybe you care about in life, but they're not on that same level, it doesn't need to be success or finance, but bettering themselves, focused on growth, focused in on you know becoming better, then naturally the law of energy, you're not gonna be able to attract each other. There will be detraction there. And I've seen that happen in so many areas of, of my life and people's lives. And you know, if you try and hold on to those relationships or if you hold on to the past or if you hold on to the stories that you tell about yourself that are literally a different frequency until, uh, compared to who you are today, mm -hmm. you're just not allowing yourself, you're not in a state of allowing to allow that new things, that new level in order to attract into your life. Yeah. And, uh, I know we talk a lot about identity. You know, we've had conversations about this. I still think for me, that was the biggest shift in my life. It was realizing that the person I was today, the Steven I was yesterday, wasn't, allow, wasn't going to allow me to be able to achieve the lifestyle that I desired. And I had to let go of that story, that identity, that old paradigm, that old self image by working really hard, by doing hard things and creating a reputation with myself that I'm proud of in order to facilitate that new Steven, what in your life do you know, remember, or can recall any of those identity shifts? Was it like a pivotal moment? Was it something that you're like, today, for me, there were many moments in my life that 
after that specific moment, I wasn't the same. Maybe the results took a little bit of time to catch up, but personally, I made a decision I wasn't the same. Do you recall yeah. any of those? Yeah, those moments usually happen in, in pain. And so when I left the industry in Las Vegas, working at Marquee to, to pursue what I'm doing now, I, I didn't have any backup plan. I left and I went door knocking. All the businesses that I could see and, and find in Vegas and pitched myself at 24 years old. I'm a performance coach, I can help you boost your sales, uh, help the morale of your organization, da, 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 have my own spiel. And I would get doors slammed in my face, I'd get cops called on me, I'd tell people, "You're how old are you? And I'm like 24, and they're like, what do you have to teach me? And like, all these moments kept stacking. And I began to doubt whether I made the right choice. And that was like six months of just no. <laughs> nothing coming in right and I was just like I guess I might be too young like what do I have to teach and it was in that moment where the philosophy came to me talk about philosophy a story that you can buy into and repeat over and over and over is I don't want to be a statistic I don't want to be a person that says I'm gonna do something and then not do it because that wouldn't be an integrity most people 99% of the people would say Oh, I want that and then when it gets hard, they go and find a reason why they shouldn't pursue it anymore. Maybe I'm not skilled enough, maybe this isn't for me. If it was for me, it'd be easier, you know, whatever justification. And be that 1% came to my mind. Be the 1%. You want it? Go for it. And and what it was like a switch. And it sounds so simple, but the most simple ideas actually are the ones that can penetrate the deepest because there's no complexity. So it just it was immediate to the ground, water and like a root came up, you know? And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, like I'm not going to be a statistic. Two weeks later, I found one a lady outside of Coffee Bean. I approached her, gave her my business card. She called me a week later, brought me in for an interview to their international timeshare company, 175 employees servicing Mexico timeshares. And she's like, come in for an interview. First interview, knocked it out of the park. Second interview, third interview. And I was like, look, just give me 30 days. If I can't change your business in 30 days, then we walk away, you pay my rate, we're done. But if I, if I do change it, we sign a year contract. They're like, okay. Grew their business by 20% in those 30 days, signed a year of contract, and that became one year, became four years. Story, philosophy. It's crazy, man. There's so many stories that I've heard like that where it was, you know, not happy with specific career, specific way in life took a jump of faith into the unknown, put themselves in a vulnerable situation, failed, 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 doubt, 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 didn't quit, breakthrough moment, life changed forever. Yeah. And it, it feels like that is almost the formula that people have to go through in order to, again, create that identity shift, to create that lifestyle shift. Yet there's so many people, unfortunately the majority of society, that would be in that same situation as you, James, and to your point, justify doubt, allow the noise of their parents, their friends, the naysayers, embarrassed of what, what, do, what are all their friends gonna think? And then they conform, they drift, and then they don't allow themselves to ever take another shot. And it's so unfortunate to people because every great thing out of life, at least in my own experience, there has to come with massive adversity. You have to put yourself in a vulnerable situation in order to see what you're made of. Again, you have to figure out a way to do hard things. For me, door to door at the time was one of the hardest things that I possibly thought I could do because growing up I had low self-esteem, low, self low social skills, doubt, scarcity mindset, lack 
paradigm from my upraising. So door to door to me was that make it or break it moment. Either I was going to be exposed as a fraud and all of the things, all the books I've read, all the speeches I made up until that point, even though I wasn't making any money, was accurate and all the people that hated on me and doubted me were right. Or I was going to prove myself right and no matter what, I was either going to be on top of the mountain or on the side of it dead. And I feel like that really is the mindset that you have to have if you're going to go after anything big because anything smaller than that, you're going to get knocked off your horse and you're not going to want to get back up. Dude, yes, well said. I look at, like, let's, let's just do a little thought experiment real quick. So let's say the universe at large, creator, whoever made what we're experiencing, this life happen. Uh, let's just say that the, the intention was to, to constantly progress and to serve, right? Well, wouldn't it make sense that if a person continues to work at something in spite of adversity and challenge, that that person is gonna develop the skill that's gonna add more value to the species, to the life in general, right? Like, the more challenge you go through, the more life you can hold because you understand both worlds. You understand what it's like to suffer and you understand what it's like to succeed. So you have more compassion naturally. And I think people who build their own thing, whether that's your business or a relationship or just your own self-love, there's a pride in the building of it. There's a resiliency that comes from the building of it that supports our species long after we're gone. So we almost owe it to ourselves and to the collective of life intelligence everywhere to, to do something that's uncertain, to find something in you that you don't even know is there that once activated makes this world a better place. Love that. You know, like I just, yeah, it, it, it makes sense to me. I, and I, maybe everyone doesn't see it that way, but like the happiest people are the people who have endured challenge. Yeah. I mean, I believe progression is the key to happiness. You know, Tony Robbins talks about this a lot, but you could have all the money in the world. You could have 10 Bugattis. You could have three super yachts, one private jet. But if you just give up on whatever you're doing and just freaking coast, chances are you're going to be pretty depressed and turn to other stimulus, other dopamine things in mm -hmm. order to get that same level of fulfillment. And you know, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, has the best definition of success that I've ever heard and that I believe in. He says, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. The progressive realization of a worthy ideal. That means the teacher who loves teaching and loves giving back to kids that is out there making an impact every single day is a success, like your professor, right? Change your life, that's success. You know, the door-to-door the -door salesman who loves challenges and growing as a person and facing adversity and growing his communication skills, regardless of how much money he's making in that time, as long as he's progressing in his career, he is successful. But most people aren't not successful, not because they're not making crazy money, it's because they're not pursuing a worthy ideal. They're conforming, they're drifting, they bought into this system that the government and the powers that be have created to create average people and average workers. Mm -hmm. I forget the quote, I think it was Henry Ford. He said, the inventor of the modern day uh, <laughs> education system, he said, I want a city, I want a country, I want a world of workers, not a world of thinkers. And it's such a true concept because when you go look out there as society, 
to what we were talking about earlier, most people, they're not thinking. They're just going with the motions. They're just drifting through life. Robotic. Robotic. And it's unfortunate because they get to the end of their lives, especially our generation. That's why I was so passionate about making this podcast because it doesn't take much. It just takes a little bit of inspiration. It just takes reaching for that next good feeling thought of faith and desire. And you take action on it and you fail and you fall down, but eventually you'll get there. And every little progression that you make, you're now molding yourself into a better person. You're enhancing your integrity and you're going to end up in a great place as long as you don't quit. Yes. And the key thing you said there is take action, right? Because we can have these really powerful conversations and it can feel stimulating and you can fall under the illusion that you've grown, but you haven't grown until you've done it. That's where the wisdom comes. So knowledge is beautiful, acquire knowledge, but that knowledge won't turn into wisdom until it's applied. Mm. Knowledge without application is hallucination. It's, <laughs> it's so true. I was that guy, I was that guy. Dude, I think we, at some point we probably all are. Yeah, going to all the conferences, reading all the books, you know, going to all the ha meetings, feeling like, ah, oh, I'm killing it, I'm crushing it. And I was broke. I could barely afford a Chipotle burrito with the guac on it. And I had to, you know, make a decision that, you know, enough is enough, you know, like, like we talked about, right? Until the pain of change outweighs the pain of staying the same, then nothing will ever change. You have to literally make a conscious decision that, hey, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to make a decision that this is who I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to acquire. And this is the life that I'm going to create. And then just be extremely consistent, you know, be flexible in your approach, but be stubborn in where you're going and what you want. And eventually you're going to get there. Yeah. So, bro, this has been amazing. A couple more questions for you, James. Sure. What do you think society needs more of? More of interdependence. Elaborate. Interdependence is the, so there's three frameworks. You have a dependency, an independent, independence, and then interdependence. Interdependence is when two independent parties come together and, and form a collaboration to synergize, to leverage strengths and skill sets, to, communi uh, commu to create a community where everyone's skills are being expressed and leveraged correctly. Um, I think in the West, we live so much in silos. It's always about independence and, and being away from a lone wolf stuff. Let me do it myself and not enough community, not enough appreciation for what other people can do and leveraging those skills to help you and help them to create win-win scenarios. Mm. And, and that requires a lot of um, ego checking because some people like to be the top dog and, and myself included. I've definitely fallen into that a ton of times of like, I don't trust anyone else and I have the quality that I want to produce and that's it. And so I've stayed in my bubble. I stay in my cave. But what is that doing? I'd, I'd much rather now create a team of Avengers. You know, you have Iron Man, you have Captain America, you got the Hulk, you got all these people that are, are doing their own thing in their own lane, but you, you weave your stories in and out of each other to Powerful. create massive impact. So I think we need more interdependence and you see this a lot in cultures, um, you know, or in countries like, like Africa, it's all interdependence. When you have baby, like a whole village takes care of that baby not just a one person, you know? And so I think we can leverage each other's time and skill and resources to help more people as opposed to just the ones that benefit us immediately. Well said, man, that's super powerful. I love that Avengers mentality. What do you think are some applicable things, some applicable practices people can do today to help amplify their life, whether it's physical daily practices, spiritual daily practices, financial daily practices or mental daily practices? 
one, one thing that sounds very unorthodox, but I'd set a timer for 10 minutes and I'd, I'd go into a room that's silent. I'd take a notebook and a pen and I'd write down everything that pops up in your head. And then from there, after those 10 minutes, analyze what you wrote down. How many of those thoughts or ideas are building you? How many of those are destroying you? How many of those don't even matter? And then do it again the next day and see if there's any change. And over time, I think the more mindful you become of where your mind goes naturally, uh, the, the more you can construct your environment to build an identity for yourself, but also you can catch yourself when you're entering more self-sabotage or fear-based thinking that once corrected can keep you more in growth oriented mindset and and keep you progressing moving forward so that's super easy i'd recommend that and then i'd recommend exercise <laughs> do something physically hard it could be push-ups till failure it could be run a mile as fast as you can it could be hold a plank for as long as you can um, 50 burpees physical at any point in the day start there and on the physical topic i know you've done some extremely challenging things <laughs> just to accomplish them and to become better how many miles did you run i've done 61 miles in in 25 hours and then i did 78 miles in 26 hours freaking crazy man what do you think your biggest takeaway from that other than obviously well, I learned a lot about myself. I, I, I am the type of person that will bully myself once I get to past a certain point. No music, no person. It can, can get me out of um, a funk. Like I was at mile 60, 68 or 66. I was like 10 to 12 miles left. It was freaking cold outside. It was raining. It was like 30 degrees. Every step felt like three steps. Water was forming in my knee and I still had that long to go. And people were there like, come on, James, come on, James. They were playing music to try and pump me up. And I was like, guys, stop. Like, this is, this is me versus me right now. And like, oh gosh, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. Like, it was, it was the most demanding thing that I'd ever been through. And I was like, don't you fucking quit, dude. Like, you're, you will be a hypocrite if you stop now. I don't care if your, your knee hurts. I don't care if you move at a snail's pace. You're finishing this race. And like I got intense, I cussed, I would like, it's all in my mind, but I had to go to very dark places to get myself to keep moving forward. And people would like, were, were just, they, I could tell that they were sensing that, but that's what I needed. And you won't know if that's what you need until you place yourself in those types of situations. Does everybody need to do 78 miles? No, but that's what I needed. So find your thing and explore yourself in that situation. And what you'll come out with that is your own strategy. And when you have your own strategy, you take more ownership over it. And each time you deploy it, you get stronger with it. So you learn to trust it even more and more. And then you, you build yourself by yourself one brick at a time to where you have such a solid foundation. It won't matter what you go through. You have the mental fortitude that you've cultivated through the fire that will take you through anything. And leveraging pain. A common thing we keep coming back to is just doing hard things, doing hard things, putting yourself in do or die, fight or flight situations to really craft the man or, or woman that you desire to be. Because if not, if you're not doing things that are hard, 
you're never going to be the person that when things get challenging, because either you're creating a life that's hard or life's gonna give you a life that's gonna be hard. And if you're not prepared, then you're not gonna be ready in order to overcome the things that you need to, uh, to get to the result that you're trying to get to. Man, I love that so much. Yeah, a little bit on that interdependent, interdependent thinking. Um, a quote that I heard in yoga one time, this was like years ago, was, I am because we are. I am because we are. It's because of the collective that I am the individual. And because I am the individual, there is a collective. And so I think no matter how different we may seem on the outside, there's always a similar thing that we all have in common, whether that's just being human or that's just we're all born into this world with, with the purpose. Like Whatever that commonality is, I think finding that in more of your relationships will allow you to receive more data that can help you make better decisions. And that kind of goes back to a philosophy my mom taught me, which was you can always learn something from someone. You can always learn something from someone. You can't learn everything. Something from everyone. <laughs> something like that. Guys, thank you so much. James, where can the viewers find you? Uh, Instagram is probably the best way. James underscore Silvas, S-I-L-V-A-S. I have a podcast, Be That 1%. Um, just got word it's top 1% globally. We're in over 130 countries. So um, that's free, obviously. So, so join in and... and Feel free to connect and would love to serve in any way I can. Guys, follow this man. His content's amazing. James, thank you so much for being an awesome friend, thought leader, and mentor. Guys, till next time. Peace.